Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Psalms 13, that at least gives you the text. I can see clearly now. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to bump something eventually. It'll be bad. All right. Well, hopefully I won't be too long-winded today. Um, or you'll be thinking the psalm instead of reading the psalm. <laughs> How long, oh Lord, do I have to deal with David and his constant talking? <laughs> if you haven't asked that question in your life, there is a problem. Well, everybody struggles with that simple statement. Verse 1, Psalms 13, for the choir director of Psalm of David, how long, O Lord? How long? Will you forget me forever? How long? Will you hide your face from me? How long should I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long will my enemies exalt over me? David starts with four very common questions. Will you forget me? Do you remember who I am? Will you remember the promises you've given me? Are you going to hide from me? Can I see your face? Can I be in your presence again? Am I all alone? Do I have to cry all day long by myself? Or are you going to comfort me? When is your comfort coming to me? How long? How long will my enemies conquer and oppress me? Will you deliver me? That's, that's an important, you know, if you haven't looked around the world and asked those questions... You probably aren't paying attention. And if you have, it's a hard grappling question. How long? In the 1600s, a man named John of the Cross wrote a book and wrote about a concept he developed called The Dark Night of the Soul, in which he describes a time of the life of a Christian in which God in a sense goes silent and and it's it's meant he withdraws I don't think that God actually withdraws the way he describes it in there but the idea is that God pulls away so that you will grow and stretch in your maturity and faith and I think the, the heart of the concept is true that there are times when we go through life and we start questioning. We feel distanted from God. We feel alone, just like David. And we ask those questions. How long am I going to grapple? How long am I going to deal with the struggles that I'm dealing with? And the reality is that just because his face is hidden from us doesn't mean he's forgotten us. 
a interesting story in the gospel that illustrates this is in Luke 24. Jesus has just died and resurrected. And a bunch of the ladies went to the tomb and they, they, they had brought back news that Jesus had resurrected. And they wandered off on their way to Emmaus. And verse 15 of Luke 24 says, While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. They didn't know he was right with them in the midst of their grappling, in the midst of their insecurity about the future. Jesus was there saying, I understand you're struggling and you're confused and you don't understand what's going on. And what does he do? He leads them into the scriptures and he explains to them why Jesus had to die. And then they recognize him after he breaks bread with them and they're like, and Jesus disappears and goes on. They end up going back to the disciples and seeing him again later. But they said, wasn't our heart excited when he was telling us these things? And we didn't recognize him. Another occasion that Jesus, in a sense, hid from his disciples was Mark uh, chapter 6, where Jesus tells the disciples to go across the sea. I'm going to meet you on the other side. And he says, I'll dismiss this crowd. This is after he uh, feeds the 5,000. He says, you guys go on. I'm going to stay here. But I'm giving you a mission, a purpose. And it says, he went up on the mountain, he prayed, and then he saw them. Verse uh, 48 of Mark 6 says, seeing them, straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth hour of watch of the watch at night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. His intent, his plan, was to let them struggle because he was trying to teach them something. There was something they needed to know. They needed to entrust themselves to what God told them to do. Go to the other side. I'll meet you there. And he saw them struggling. He was aware of it. He was, in a sense, present. He's walking on the water right beside him, technically. Interesting, in Matthew, they focus on a little bit different point. In Matthew uh, 14, it's the same story, but Peter jumps out. on He, he yells at him and says, uh, they say, oh, it's, it's Jesus, and Peter says, hey, can I come out and join you on the water? I think that's why Jesus ended up back in the boat, because he had to get Peter back in, because Peter was a little crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I'll jump out too. Uh, Where is your faith? And that's the question. Both stories are illustrating one point. One point. 
We need to have faith in God. He is going to ensure we get to the other side. Ensure that we just trust him in the midst of the chaos that we're going through. And it's okay. (coughs) Revelation gives us another picture. Very different. Chapter 6 says, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. They cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long? Now, I have an issue with some of the the early ideas of, of rapture being prior to these seals because of this verse. But that's a whole nother story. I think it happens right after this. And I think there's potential for a major persecution of the church prior to Christ's return. Because these guys are all getting killed for their faith. Is that coming? We may be facing that soon. And we may be saying exactly the same thing. How long, O Lord? We may be in this crowd, in heaven, saying exactly the same thing. How long till you judge what they've done to me? Verse 11, there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. Interesting, he never tells them how long. He says, there is a time, it's preordained, and I've said it. Trust me. And entrust yourself to me. It will work out the way I've told you it's going to. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to know all the timing. You just need to live in faith and entrust yourself to me. David grappled with this. And in verse 3 of Psalms, he says, Consider and answer me, O Lord. Enlighten my eyes, or I'll sleep the sleep of death. And my enemies will say, I've overcome him, and my adversaries will rejoice when I'm shaken. What's he say? Exactly what Job said. Listen to what I'm saying. Consider my plea. Examine my case. Answer me. Somehow tell me what's going on. I think the key is the last point. Enlighten my eyes. Let me see the situation from your perspective instead of my own. The only way for us to deal with all of these questions is through the Spirit enlightening our eyes through faith, entrusting ourselves to him and saying, I trust that what you've said is true. Matthew Henry wrote, faith is the eye of the soul with which we see above and through the things of the senses. 
we see above and through what we understand physically. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays exactly this idea. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working and the strength of his might. What are the things that he's praying? That your eyes might be enlightened to the hope of his calling. That he has called you to a purpose. And there is hope at the end of the road. We have a purpose and we are going to fulfill that as we abide in faith. Second, I love this next part, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The riches of having the body of Christians around you. Part of our inheritance is each other. And we've already received that. We have fellowship with one another like we can't have apart from Jesus. And that is a rich and glorious inheritance that no one can take away from you. It's one another. And the more you have relationships with each other, the richer that becomes. The deeper you understand how glorious it is that God has given you one another as friends, as family. Second Corinthians 3 says, But we all with unveiled faces behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So how do we get these enlightened eyes? We have to look to the Lord. We have to entrust ourselves to him and allow him to transform us into our in transform us into his image. And we're not all there. We're not going to be there until we come into glory. But we're being changed. We all think a little off, and that's normal because we're all sinners. But he's changing our thinking. He's changing our actions. First Corinthians, earlier, instead of Second Corinthians, chapter 13 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly. We don't really see it as clear as we want to. We see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... But then I shall know fully, just as I have been known fully. 
there's a time coming where it's not going to be so dim and we'll see him face to face and he will transform us into perfect images of him in the meantime that's his call to be a reflection of Jesus and to transform our thinking into his thinking and allow the spirit to move us into new ways of thinking new ways of understanding this world because to most of us it's a fallen messed up world and it's leading to horrible places David faced all kinds of enemies and his struggle may have been about physical attacks from Saul or you know we're not totally sure what exactly was going on but he was grappling how long am I going to be you know with the Philistines drooling pretending to be insane how long am I going to feel depression how long am I going to be filled with temptation and doubt how does he respond verse 5 he says I have trusted in your loving kindness and my my heart shall rejoice in your salvation in the midst of this grappling David has resolved to entrust himself to what he knows of God that God loves him despite who he is where he's at what's going on in his life he says I will trust his loving kindness and that's what we need to do we need to turn to the object of our faith and be established in the midst of whatever attack is going on on you as we do that as we entrust ourselves to God that faith brings us to a different attitude it brings us to an attitude of hope that moves us to rejoicing rejoicing in his finished work that is our salvation verse 6 I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me looking back what does he look back on what has God done in my life he's kept me alive how many people did tried to kill David repetitively how many times was he threatened he's dealt bountifully with me God hasn't forgotten he was right there the whole time the reflection on salvation should bring us to this attitude of singing especially in light of the fact that we really don't deserve the salvation we've received it's a glorious thing that he looked on us who are all messed up and yet redeemed us and that should be a celebration point in your heart today
James 5.13 says, Is any of you suffering? He must pray. Is any of you cheerful? He is to sing praises. I want you to notice the progression here. What do we have with David? He's suffering. He's grappling. What's the call? Seek the Lord. In prayer. What should prayer bring you to? Cheerfulness. It should comfort you. The Spirit should come along beside you and entrust himself to you. Giving you peace. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Don't you want to be a part of that? Is any of you cheerful? Praise the Lord. As we go through this progression, it should bring you in a circle. You grapple, you pray. You're comforted, you rejoice. That rejoicing becomes infectious to those around you. Ephesians 5.19 says, Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, even the Father. How do we do that? How do we get to that joyful place? Obviously, it starts with seeking the Lord. It starts with prayer. Colossians chapter 3 says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him, to God the Father. Then it goes on and says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, I'm not talking directly to wives. We are all the bride of Christ. And we are to submit to our husband, Jesus. And as we submit to him, entrust ourselves to his care we can have peace that we wouldn't have if we were just out doing our own thing because he is strong and mighty he is rich and glorious and we're not but he imparts all that to us Ecclesiastes says, In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other. What do we consider? We're all going through those struggles. You're not alone. We don't know the future. But we can judge on the past that God is faithful his word is proven true over and over again and thus we can rest and rejoice in him 
he is doing something. We don't understand it. And that's okay. We don't have to. I'm going to close with one last analogy of this whole situation. Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are sharing the gospel. It says, The crowd rose up against them, and the chief magistrate tore their robes off of them, proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows and thrown them into prison, commanded the jailer to guard them securely. He, having received such command, threw them in the inner prison, fastened their feet in stocks. It's a pretty miserable place to be. Beaten, tortured, you know, sitting in filth in the midst of all kinds of criminals. People that probably very much deserve to be there. And maybe some that didn't. But not happy people. Not a pleasant situation. Verse 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. What did they do? They sought the Lord in the worst situation they could be in. And singing hymns of praise to God. Where did their prayer lead them? Celebration of what God's brought them to. That God is in charge and I don't care my situation. It's okay. I'm going to entrust myself to him. Here's where it all gets interesting. The prisoners were listening to them. The prisoners. The people around you that you would look and be like, they don't deserve anything. They're really messed up. They're evil people. The prisoners were listening and suddenly there came a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Everyone's. The mere foundation of oppression was removed. The foundations of what held everyone there was shaken. Now, Paul and Silas didn't do that. But their faithfulness in the midst of the situation empowered God to do something miraculous. It set a situation that God could transform a whole prison. Doors were opened. Chains were unfastened. Because of two guys being faithful when they were being treated wrongly, just like David. How long, you might ask, how long are we going to face this? How long until we see the people around us released, that foundation destroyed in their lives? the chains released from their life.
we need to entrust ourselves to him seek him first and all these things are added to you that's our prayer first that God comfort you as you seek him that he enlightens you to entrust yourself to him that that peace that he gives you leads you into celebration of all he's done in your life and ultimately that celebration brings others into the kingdom let's pray Father thank you you have called us by name and we entrust ourselves to you today we thank you that you have so much more in store and we don't understand it but we trust you thank you for all you have done and all you will do and we lift up everyone here your peace would come upon each person that you would fill them with comfort and joy in the Holy Spirit in Jesus name Amen